Welcome once again, fellow Muppet fans, to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch the Muppet movie two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And we have no more minutes of the Muppet movie left to talk about two minutes at a time this week. We are talking about all 96 minutes of the Muppet movie or none at all. Yes, we got through the entire movie and we still had some things left to say because we are Muppet nerds and we like to talk about (laughs) the Muppets and the Muppet movie. So here we are. Here's the thing. The Muppet movie is good and we like it. So we just don't want to let it go yet. That's true. And so here we are. So we can write our own ending. Yes. And our ending Keep believing and keep pretending that we still have more Muppet movie to talk about. I'm glad you came up with that. I'm, I just wrote that. I just wrote it. That's really good. If you hadn't said that, somebody somewhere in the comments would have been like, ah, oh, you guys should have said that life's like a movie and you're writing your own ending. That's true because they read it on a mug. <laughs> Do you have a mug like that? I, yes. Well, I don't, but I almost bought one at Hallmark. And I bought the one that says uh, Adventure is out there and has Carl Fredrickson's house from Up instead oh that was a good choice yeah we had already had a couple of, like we have like three or four muppet ones already yeah we didn't have any up ones but that's for the upcast well so. right I, I maybe this is a diversion but i do have a few uh muppet glasses and mugs and i imagine you do too yeah i have like three or four of them i just said that oh did you just say that while i was <laughs> glancing at my notes yes <laughs> okay we're off to a great start Yes, our best episode yet. Yay. All right. So I just have a bunch of uh, miscellaneous things, things that didn't quite fit in in any of the minute-specific episodes. So if you're cool with it, I'm just going to start at the top of my list here. I think you should. Item number one. So uh, I occasionally was citing the American Cinematographer issue with a bunch of stuff about the Muppet movie in it as we went along. One thing I forgot to mention... The scene where Kermit is in the desert and he sees the shooting star fly by. Yes. Uh, you will remember that. So according to that... Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. It's not from American Cinematographer. It's from a 2014 USA Today interview with James Frawley. Uh, he revealed that that shooting star effect was done by um, assembling a Christmas tree light to a wire on the soundstage. And when he gave the signal, they just moved the light across the stage to make it look like uh, the star was flying. Oh, neat. Yeah. So, next item. Uh, I don't think we've talked at all about the Super 8 home version of the movie, have we? Oh, no, we haven't, but I love it. Yeah, it's a weird little thing. So I guess this was just before there was VHS, before there was home video as we know it today. uh, Film enthusiasts could buy their own film projectors and they could get these super eight movies that were uh, condensed versions of existing films. So there was a release of the Muppet movie. It was 18 minutes and 10 seconds long. And as a result, they had to cut a lot of things out. Uh, It was on YouTube at some point. I just checked and it was not there anymore. I'm sure it'll surface again someday. That's a shame. 
Yeah, but it was interesting to see what scenes they chose to cut, but it ultimately didn't really amount to a satisfying viewing experience. Well, but I think it's one of those things where it's more just like you've seen the Muppet movie and now you want to relive the highlights. Um, also, good news. It's on Daily Motion, so we will include that link. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we'll assume that everyone who's watching it has seen the Muppet movie before. It would not be the best way to encounter it for the first time. I, I would think anyone who is going to click on that link from our podcast <laughs> has seen the Muppet movie before. That's a safe assumption. Uh, another thing, there was a royal premiere of this movie when it was released. That was on May 31st, 1979. Uh, and you know what? I, I wrote this down. I realize I'm not sure how to pronounce. Is it Leicester Square in London? I, I honestly don't know. Le- Leicester. I know it's one of those things like Worcestershire sauce. Uh, it's pronounced Worcestershire sauce. Okay, so the no, royal not. premiere was held at Worcestershire Shire Sauce Theater in <laughs> London. Princess Anne was in attendance. No kidding. Yeah, the princess herself. Uh, I, I, there's no word about whether she liked it, but the Muppet Show fan club newsletter at the time said, luckily for Kermit fans, discretion was the order of the day. The princess did not kiss the frog. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and speaking of premieres and the movie being in theaters i think actually i don't have the release date in front of me um oh wait no here it is june 22nd 1979 and according to box office mojo the movie grossed 65 million two hundred thousand dollars in 1979 money which adjusted for inflation is 237 million nine hundred forty one thousand that's pretty good that's a big hit. That's more money than the Han Solo movie made. Oh, is that more than the Han Solo movie yeah. made? In... in real life, in Han Solo, the Han Solo movie in 2018 made $213 million. Oh, wow. So adjusted for inflation, but the Muppet movie was a bigger hit than Solo. Um, Actually, in... So tell me the figure again. Tell me the... Tell me the, the, the round it to the nearest million. Uh, the adjusted for inflation or the original? The adjusted for inflation. Adjusted for inflation rounded would be $238 million. 238. That would be the number six movie of the year right now in the United States. Wow. Uh, right between Deadpool 2 at number five and the actual number six is uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. So. Yeah. So just imagine a time where a Muppet movie comes out and makes that kind of money. And, and it actually was in the top ten for the year, I believe. I think. Top 10 is correct, yeah. I don't actually have that number, but yeah. that that I was not alive yet, but it sounds like a magical time. Yeah, that's uh, kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, also opening that same weekend was Escape from Alcatraz, starring Clint Eastwood, and a, oh. movie, a movie called The Main Event, which apparently is a romantic comedy about boxing, starring Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neal. Have you ever heard of this thing? <laughs> no. But now That's you kind of want to see it, right? I totally want to see it. Yeah. Um, no, so yeah, looked it up. Muppet Movie was number seven for the year. Wow. Between Apocalypse Now at number six and The Jerk at number eight. That's great. Are, are you on Box Office Mojo Not right that. now? I am on thenumbers.com. Box Office Mojo's yep. results only go back to 1980. Oh, for okay. Um, would you be able to take a second and, and just for comparison, see like what, or do we even want to see what rank uh, Muppets Most Wanted or the Muppets were? Um, 
well, actually, they were both much lower. I can. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm obviously, curious. but I know, I know off the top of my head that Muppets Most Wanted was number sixty-two or sixty-three. Okay. So, and that's that's in twenty fourteen. Yeah. Um, Not as good. Yeah, twenty fourteen Muppets Most Wanted was in fact number sixty-two for the year. Okay. It made fifty-one million dollars, so it, it it made less money in real money. Oh. Muppets Most Wanted made less in 2014 than the Muppet movie did in 1979. Wow. Yeah, okay, now I wish we hadn't looked that up at all. <laughs> the Muppets did a little better, though. Um, it yes. was number 34 for the year. Made $88 million. Yeah, so. yeah. So that's, yeah, I mean, respectable. But And this, and Ryan, Ryan knows that this is one of my pet obsessions. Uh, Ryan Henson's Happy Time Murders is currently sitting pretty at number 79 for the year. For this year. And it's gonna it's gonna drop out of the one hundred top one hundred. I know it is, baby. It only needs twenty one more. Well, I know that you will vigilantly be keeping watch on its position. I check it every Monday, like some people check football scores. <laughs> That's your thing. I'm just so excited to see how low it will place. Uh, so then, another thing I found in my my research this. The following summer, the the Village People released a movie called Can't Stop the Music mm-hmm. in 1980, which had an exceptionally bad opening weekend. And according to this uh, newspaper article that I found from the Tribune News Syndicate, after the dismal opening first weekend of uh, Can't Stop the Music, the, the distribution company replaced it in most markets with a reissue of the Muppet movie. No kidding. Yeah, they were like, ah, this village people thing's not working out. What can we replace it with that people actually like? Ah, the Muppets. Well, and and as we discussed in our previous episode, uh, that movie had the same assistant art director as this one. That's right. Yeah, you mentioned that. So I wonder how how that person was feeling. Uh, He he was thrilled to see his work back on screens. Yeah, maybe a little bit conflicted, but... Yeah, maybe. (laughs) All right, and then I I have... uh, a few more just brief notes. If you have anything to say about them, chime in. I sure will. I sure will. In 2009, this movie was selected by the U.S. National Film Preservation Board for preservation in the National Film Registry of the Library of Congress. Um, I actually, I don't know that I have anything specific to say about that, except I do wonder if they have a print in the collection yet. Because sometimes mm. they announce the thing and then it takes them a while to get a, like a nice restored print and if they do have one i wonder what kind of shape it's in. like i would love to go to the library of congress and watch their print of the muppet movie in the film registry and see how it looks do they try to get brand new prints of these movies struck or do they just get the best they can find I, as far as i know they get the best that they can find because there was this big controversy over like is the star wars in the film registry, uh, the original 1977 Star Wars, or is it some print from 2004 or something? And nobody right. really knows. Like, they haven't released that information. So, Does it have Han Solo stepping on Jabba the Hutt's tail? Right, right. That's the second time I've, we've uh, mentioned Han Solo. Today, that's true. This is the We're now doing uh, Han Solo because we weren't enough of a Star Wars minute ripoff. <laughs> right. <laughs> and now all we talk about is... Alden Eichenrock or whatever that dude's name is. Alden Eichenrickenbacher. Elton Brown. Sure. 
Um, I know we mentioned Callista Hendrickson, who made all the, or designed all the fantastic costumes um, for mm-hmm. the Muppets and especially for Miss Piggy in this movie. But I don't know that we mentioned specifically this fact. Miss Piggy has 10 costume changes in the movie. Is that including her fantasy sequence? I think so, yeah. That probably oh. bumped up the number a little bit. Yeah. But then, you know, it all balances out because Kermit doesn't really wear clothes at all, other than a hat and boots. That's true, except in that fantasy sequence. Wait, doesn't he wear clothes on their date? He's wearing, um, a, he's wearing a collared shirt on their date. You know, I honestly can't even picture it now. All right, well, Fozzie only wears a hat and a tie, as far as I can remember. Uh, yeah, Kermit's wearing like a velvet coat. Hmm. When when Steve Martin gives them the f- finest wine of Idaho. That's funny. I can't even quite picture that. Shows how well I know this movie after watching you it two minutes at a time. You've never seen the Muppet movie. No, I wasn't watching it. Finally comes out. I was just faking you've only, it. You've only read the June 12th, 1978 draft. <laughs> exactly. Um, the original outline, that's a good transition to this one. The original outline of this movie was called The Muppet Get-Together. <laughs> Which is cute. I'm sure they never intended for that to be the final title, but it just kind of describes what happens. They get together, yeah. Yeah. Uh, The first day of shooting was July 5th, 1978. So, yeah, and we talked about this before. That's They started shooting very soon after that draft of the screenplay, so there were a lot of cuts that were made pretty close to the production. Right, and I'm sure they were still... I mean, I'm not sure, but... Maybe they were still making changes after shooting had started. I would guess, yeah, probably. So then I have a couple notes about reviews of the movie. So yeah, Roger Ebert gave it 3.5, 3.5, I guess I should say, out of four stars. Mm-hmm. He said, we get to know all the Muppets better than we could on their television show. They turn out somehow to have many of the same emotions and motivations that we do. They are vain and hopeful, selfish and generous, complicated and true. They mirror ourselves, except that they're a little nicer. And also in that review, he refers to Kermit's banjo as a ukulele. That's okay. He had other stuff on his mind. He did. But, uh, you know, it, it was it was generally well received by the critics. Yeah. I mean, I get the impression it was a it was a hit and it was a critical hit. Yeah, uh, Vincent Canby in the New York Times said the movie demonstrates once again that there's always room in movies for unbridled amiability when it's governed by intelligence and wit. That's Great. a good one. Yeah. Uh, John Scow in Time Magazine uh, gave it a positive review. He referred to Kermit's banjo as a mandolin. <laughs> and uh, People Magazine was a little bit on the fence, but they... They said it had charm for the kids and in-jokes for their parents. And People they... was too hip for the room. You think so? In 1979. That magazine was only like five years old. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if I would... If I'm looking to decide if I want to see a movie or not, I'm going to trust Roger Ebert before I'm going to trust uh, People Magazine. Well, yeah, me too, but People Magazine doesn't feel that way. <laughs> That's true. I can't <laughs> argue with that. Um, um, one thing that I, speaking of reviews, not, not contemporary reviews, but um, in 2014, Entertainment Weekly magazine did a list of the 55 essential movies your child must see before turning 13. Do you remember this? Uh, vaguely. And some of them are not movies. Some of them are animated shorts and things like that. I think but that's count. They, they are ranked 
they're not like listed chronologically. They are ranked in order of quality or in order of recommendation or something. And the Muppet movie was number one on that list. Whoa. That was 2014. So I remember being pretty excited about that at the time. And actually several coworkers who had young kids at the time were like, oh, you got, you see this list? Muppet movie. Wow. Tell me again. Muppet movie now because I read it in Entertainment Weekly. Yeah. Tell me again what that list was called. The 55 Essential Movies Your Child Must See Before Turning 13. So they didn't even put a time frame on it. It's not like movies before 2000 or anything like that. No. um, Let's see. So the Muppet movie and then the next few items on the list are... Toy Story. Toy Story, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the the old uh, Chuck Jones short, Babe Poppins, much older than the Muppet movie, Beauty and the Beast. Um, Yeah, so it looks like they, they range Finding Nemo, you know, which was, what, 11 years old at the time? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, so that's yeah, that's, years. right, and it's in good company. And to be number one is great. Yeah. Um, also, just <laughs> clicking around for for reviews, I found really very few. So very few negative reviews from legitimate critics. Um, I did find on Amazon, an Amazon user named Lizzie said, "I love the show and I love the 2011 movie, but this is ridiculous." The plot is lame. The script is lame. And I think this film has one purpose, to put you to sleep. There was only <laughs> one good part in this movie, the opening when Kermit sings The Rainbow Connection. After that, the movie is dull as dull can be. This film will for sure bore your kids to death. What is the point in buying this? Exactly. There is no point. If I were you, go and buy the 2011 film, which is way better than this. Signed, Jason Siegel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe Lizzie is uh, Jason Siegel's mom. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Lizzie Siegel. Yeah. Proud mama underscore how I met your mother. Um, right. <laughs> speaking of negative comments about the movie from roughly the time, uh, there was an issue of Cinefantastique magazine in 1982 promoting The Dark Crystal. It's uh, April, May, 1983, Cinefantastique, which is like a real Muppet special. It's a 64-page magazine, and 33 of those pages are about Muppet stuff, Dark Crystal and other Jim Henson works. Wow. Um, and one of the articles is How the Muppets Work, a brief explanation. And on the next page, And Why They Work So Well by Alan Malmquist. And in this, Malmquist talks about how he, much he loves the Muppets. The jokes work so well. Their absurdity is so great. They have winning personalities, he says. The pacing of the Muppet show, he says, never let style get in the way of substance. Unfortunately, he continues, that hasn't been the case with the Muppets' ventures into films, the Muppet movie, and the great Muppet caper. Comparisons between the two may, exp- may explain why they failed to capture the magic. Once on the Muppet show, Kermit answered that nagging question, can the frog tap dance? and proceeded to do a rousing rendition of Happy Feet. His movement was great, at least his upper body. You never did see his feet. However, when Kermit joined Fozzie for a dance in the Muppet movie, they both did a soft shoe shuffle in full figure. A nice piece of puppetry, but not nearly as entertaining. Hmm. The features did succeed in putting the Muppets into a new format, an extended adventure tale, and into the real world, but too much emphasis on special effects and a never-ending stream of intrusive cameos took away from the Muppets' strong point, humor. So he spends two paragraphs talking about how Muppets are like in his article about how great the Muppets are. He spends two paragraphs talking about how actually their two movies aren't great and don't showcase their strengths. 
which I think is fascinating. Yeah. I I mean, I, I guess he's probably not the only person who loved the Muppet show and then went to the movies and was disappointed because that kind of thing happens all the time with fans. But it's, it's interesting that one thing that has come up on this podcast many times is the idea that Jim Henson and his collaborators were probably very excited about doing a film because they could do things with the puppets that they could never do on television. And here's this guy complaining <laughs> that the Muppets are uh, spending all this time in a feature film doing things that they can't do on television. Right, right. So, yeah, I, I mean, again, it's not really a review, but I remember the first time I read that magazine, you know, probably 15 years ago or more, and just thinking, wow, I'd never heard that kind of sentiment about those two movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was worth remarking on. Definitely. Um, yeah, another, so another positive thing that I also found in my research, um, <laughs> This was from an article in the Arizona Republic in July 1980. They were asking kids about their favorite movies. And a six-year-old named Joe Galindo said, My favorite movie is the Muppet movie. There is an animal who plays the drums with his head. The songs are very neat. It's, it's all true. Yeah. So, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him <laughs> have the last word of, of the reviews there, because that's a good one. Yeah. I also wrote down some of the IMDb keywords for this movie because I think those are fascinating. Please. Have you, have, <laughs> have you ever looked at this? I've never looked at those. Not, not intentionally. All right. So these are some of the highlights. Frog leg, restaurant, on the road, fame, burning film, highway travel, friends who live together, cowboy, <laughs> kissing, dinner date, Sadism, mustachioed biker, beard, boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, stoner, banjo, con artist, hired gun, screaming, breasts bouncing, gang leader, red sparkling dress, happy ending, suspension of disbelief, rainbow, actor playing multiple roles, used car dealer, mad scientist, Hollywood sign, and self-referential. So the one that I'm fascinated by here is friends who live together. <laughs> yeah. Any indication that any of these people live together? They take they take a trip together. Uh, yeah, you're right. Not in this film. I mean, they're spending the whole trip together, but the only one where they live together is Mobius from Space. Right. Well, the only thing, and this is probably. Giving I guess, somebody too much credit, but I guess Bunsen and Beaker live together, maybe, in the ghost town? I suppose oh, they do. Friends we don't know together. that for sure. Bunsen says we live here, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. So, mm -hmm. But some of these, I, I do wonder how many other movies would come up if you clicked on Red Sparkling Dress or Mustachioed Biker. Uh, Red Sparkling Dress, definitely Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, what about Mustachioed Biker? <laughs> definitely Old Dogs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, is that the one that has Henson puppets in it? Or is that old the... Dogs. Yeah, no, no. Um, yeah, no, Old Dogs, but I meant Wild Hogs would be for Mustachioed Biker. Oh, that's what I was thinking uh, when you said Old yeah. Dogs. I don't know the difference between those wild movies. Hogs. They both have John Travolta in them. They're from the same director, I think. But Is he not playing the same character? No, they're not. They're not related. That's crazy. Yeah, um, but let's see now. 
the the Wild Hogs has Tim Allen, Martin Lawrence, and William H Macy as his biker buddies, and the Old Dogs has Travolta and Robin Williams, and one of them finds out that they're a dad, I think, huh. and one of them is like a puppeteer for a stage show, and Bozark the Elephant from Animal Jam, right? Other Henson puppets are involved. So if you want to watch every movie with Henson puppets, you got to watch Old Dogs. <laughs> So yeah. R.I.P. 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 Bozark the Elephant. Huh. Well, I, I I don't know. Do you think the Bozark puppet is still? It's probably deteriorated by now. Yeah, it might be out there. I don't know. I don't know what that was made of. Bozark the Elephant from the Henson Company series Animal Jam. Ryan, for listeners who don't know, Ryan was like Animal Jam's number one fan. He loved Bozark. <laughs> Here's the thing. Animal Jam was the weirdest show. It was like it was supposed to be interactive. They were just like the whole thing was just telling kids to jump up and dance along with these puppets. But it was all kind of like the same thing. But then once an episode, they say, "Hey, it's Bozark." And then this this big elephant puppet comes out and does like these amazing breakdancing moves and he's popping and locking and everybody's just so excited about Bozark and how can you not get excited too watching at home <laughs> well, I'm dead now because <laughs> you, like I knew that you loved Bozark but I didn't expect you to do like a passionate sales pitch for Bozark and, fandom and, and you're dead now I'm dead R.I.P. Anthony <laughs> <laughs> oh man okay uh, Ooh, all right okay, let's talk about campo uh yes we should talk about campo i do have one more anecdotal tidbit about the muppet movie uh okay. as you know my wife stacy who was a guest on this podcast mm-hmm. uh used to be a classroom teacher she's now a, a tutor she owns her own learning company uh when she was teaching elementary school she would teach her kids to sing Rainbow Connection. And she noticed that the third graders, when it got to the part where Kermit sings la da da dee da da do, the third graders for some reason hated that. They were like really self conscious. They did not want to sing la da da dee da da do. <laughs> but the second graders were cool with it. So she said, somewhere between second and third grade, Kids just become too cool to sing la da da dee da da do, and we never had that happen. That's why we're still Muppet fans. That's true. I I don't remember any time in my life when I felt ashamed to sing that part of the song, <laughs> but that's one for the the child psychologists out there to to ponder. So, Campo. Yeah, tell me about Campo, man. Can I say what it stands for? Yes. Campaign to award Miss Piggy an Oscar. That is correct. And what a what a great cause, right? Yeah, she should have got it. Who won that year? Sally Field? Um, I think that's correct. Yeah, for so, Norman Wayne. Yeah, so... She got another nominator. Uh, she doesn't need two. Was that her... I, you know, I'm sure I have all this down here somewhere, but that was her first or second one? That was her that first one. The second one was Places in the Heart, which would have been eight oh, right. four. Right. So, okay. But, um, yeah, the Muppet movie. Miss Piggy's first movie... 1979, uh, two Muppet fans named Bruce Collin and James Hall, who both worked at Procter and Gamble in Cincinnati, Ohio, were re- they were big Miss Piggy fans, and they formed Campo. 
they actually formed the group before the movie came out because they just knew that her performance was going to be so spectacular that it would be Oscar-worthy. They rented a P.O. box, and by the end of 1979, they had over 35,000 letters in support of Miss Piggy winning an Oscar. 35? 35,000. Wow. Yeah, again, that's one of the... Can you even imagine that now? I mean, people don't write letters anymore, but I don't know. How many uh, how, how many tweets could the... How many retweets could the, the biggest, most high-profile Miss Piggy tweet get today? Uh, probably not 35,000. Right. So uh, Bruce Collin was quoted in a United Press article saying, we see this as a people's mandate to the Motion Picture Academy. And they actually hand-delivered all those letters to the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences in Beverly Hills. They uh, so they appeared on talk shows. I, I saw what I found said they appeared on talk shows as far away as Canada, England, and Australia. Wow. I, I'm assuming they... are all equally far away. Well, <laughs> right, as far away as Canada. I'm assuming they didn't fly to England and Australia just to talk about giving Miss Piggy... Uh, an Oscar that maybe those were call-in situations, but I have no idea. Again, Miss mm-hmm. Piggy was huge at the time. What she were you saying? She was a huge star, that's all. Yeah. So the Academy's initial response said, while the Academy does not participate in the pork barrel campaigns, which are an unfortunate part of the annual Oscar campaign, we do wish you appropriate success with your commendable support of such a weighty candidate of Academy Honors. So, oh my gosh, did Jim Lewis write it? <laughs> Maybe he was working at the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Scientists at the time. Um, when the word of the campaign reached the Muppet people, they released a statement from Miss Piggy. She said, I feel I am but a humble actress singer, and I do not believe it is my place to comment on this wise, perceptive, discerning, and tasteful Oscar campaign. Ah. That's just about perfect, right? That's, good. That's classic piggy. That sounds like that sounds like Jerry Jewell wrote it or somebody who worked on the Muppet Show. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to think so. <clears throat> Someone who who knew Miss Piggy pretty well, anyway. Right. Uh, then, in the weeks leading up to the nominations, the Muppet publicity people released a statement saying that Miss Piggy was going to go ahead and have a gown designed just in case. They said something daring yet elegant, something only a pig could wear. But, unfortunately, when the nominations were announced, Miss Piggy's name was absent from the list. And an Academy publicist said, We award nominations and Oscars to people, not characters. Miss Piggy is a character. Eligible is the man who manipulates her, Frank Oz. Had the actor's branch chosen to nominate him, he would have been nominated. Now, they're probably just saying that. But wouldn't that have been something if Frank Oz had been nominated for Best Actor for playing Miss Piggy? Well, Linda Hunt, man, right? Linda Hunt won an Oscar for playing a male character in uh, Year of Living Dangerously. She mm-hmm. won Best Actress for pl- Best Supporting Actress for playing a little boy. Yeah, what year was that? 82? 81? Oh, okay, so just a few years, years just a couple years after this. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it, it it's possible. Maybe someday. A puppeteer will win for playing uh, a Muppet. I, I I couldn't see, I couldn't find anything though to indicate 
whether Frank had ever commented on that himself or if anyone had ever asked him about it. Uh, so then Bruce Collin told the Associated Press that uh, when they asked him about it, um, he said, yeah, there's a rule, an Academy rule that disqualifies a performance in which all the dialogue has been provided by another actor. But uh... <clears throat> Yeah. But he said, we maintain she has the voice she was born with. That's good. So how many of the other Best Actress nominees that year can you name? Uh, 1979. One of them must have been Meryl Streep in Kramer vs. Kramer. Um, no. Really? Was she supporting? Maybe. That seems... I mean, because she's not in that movie that much. Didn't she win an Oscar for that? Oh, yes, she won. <laughs> and Sally Field won. So, yeah, she was supporting. Oh, there you go. The actual Best Actress nominees were... Jill Clayburgh for Starting Over, Sally Field for Norma Ray, Jane Fonda for The China Syndrome, Marsha Mason for Chapter 2, and Bette Midler for The Rose. I have not seen any of those movies. What about you? Um, No, I've never seen any of those. Not even Norma Ray, huh? I've never seen Norma Ray. I've always kind of meant to, you know. You, yeah, me too. You know how it is. <laughs> right. Uh, the Associated Press asked Bette Midler how she felt about her nomination, and she said, I'm just glad I don't have to run against Miss Piggy. And yet she's never really worked with the Muppets, right? Like she's got... um, was she on Sesame Street? I mean, maybe, but she wasn't on the Muppet Show, and that would have ruled. Yeah, she's never worked with the the Muppet Show Muppets. It seems like she should have yeah. or would have. Let's see her Muppet her Muppet Wiki page. She appeared in Yakety Yak Take It Back in nineteen ninety one PSA that eventually aired on Sesame Street. But it looks huh. like she has never actually appeared on Sesame Street. She recorded yeah. Pie for the album in harmony, a Sesame Street record. But that's the one that, like, doesn't have real Sesame Street songs. It has one song by Ernie and Cookie Monster, and the rest of them are just celebrities. Right. Jellyman Kelly is on it, which was from oh. Sesame But it's just James Taylor singing it, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, uh, they should get on that. They should uh, They should get Bette Midler for the next Muppet thing. There's still time. Yeah, exactly. She's still, she's still going strong. So the Miss Piggy fans persisted. A Columbus, Ohio TV station, WTVN, started distributing Miss Piggy for Best Actress bumper stickers and encouraged people to keep writing letters. But as you know, it did not work. Sally Field won for Norma Ray. Although it should be noted that that was not the acceptance speech where she said, you like me, blah, 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 you like me. Um, that one was for Places in the Art a few years later. Right. Um, that that's one of those things where people always get that quote wrong. She, where she didn't actually say you like me, you really like me. It was something else. It was like standing up here I realized that you like me. Yeah, I don't remember. I think she, no I think it's that people I think it's that people say that she said you love me, you really love me. But what she said was you like me, you really like me, right? Something like that. Either way, yeah. people are usually wrong. Yeah. Sally Field, she's good though, man. Even, she was even good as Aunt May in that terrible Spider-Man movie. Yeah, she was probably one of the highlights of yeah, the Spider-Man like, movies. I liked her in that. I didn't see the second one. I'm sure she was fine in it. Yeah. Yeah, I like Sally Field. If you know, if anyone was going to get the uh, the Oscar of the year that Miss Piggy didn't, it's, you know, it I can accept that it was Sally Field. Oh, sure. <laughs> so, uh it sounds like the whole thing was a lot of fun for Bruce Collin and James Hall of Campo and for the Academy and the fans and the Muppet people. Um I've periodically tried looking up Bruce Collin and James Hall to see if there's any trace of them online to see if they're still around. Um, I have not been able to come up with anything, but 
obviously we would love to talk to them. So if anyone out there knows Bruce Collin and James Hall of Campo, please have them uh, drop us a line we, on Facebook, Twitter. We would love to interview them at Tough Pace. Yes, absolutely. So that's Campo. Do you have any any other thoughts on that? No, just that I love that it happened. Like, I think that's, yeah. that's fun. Yeah, it's really... And in the age before social media, before everything we have now, all these people who love the Muppets getting together to show the world how much they love the Muppets. Right. It's great. Yeah. To quote, to quote Ryan Henson, Muppets are great. <laughs> yes. You should put that on a mug. Oh, man. I should. So that brings us to the end of our... Muppet Movie wrap-up episode, which means it brings us to the end of this season of this podcast. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, we did it. We made it all the way through the Muppet Movie, two minutes at a time. We talked about every single Muppet Movie moment. And we had ho- hopefully interesting things to say, but we either way, we had things to say about some every... interesting, some dreadful. <laughs> right, that's our goal. That would be my assessment about the season. Great Muppet Keeper is going to be better, you guys. It's gonna you be, think it'll be a better podcast or a better movie? I think it'll be a better podcast and a better movie because we can talk about Charles Grodin whenever we want. Yeah, yeah. Eh, that's another good teaser. So, yeah, we do want to let everyone know this is our last episode for The Muppet Movie. We will be back before too long with The Great Muppet Caper. Uh, I, I don't know how long it will be. We want to, uh, you know... Uh, maybe long enough that you'll miss us, but not long enough that you'll forget about us. We are planning on doing a few bonus episodes in between the seasons. So keep an eye out for that. And of course, stay stay subscribed on your uh, podcast listening uh, app. Do you want to tell them what our, the, the first bonus episode will be? Our first bonus episode will cover the Muppets go Hollywood which is a TV special from 1979 where Dick Van Dyke, charming TV and motion picture star Dick Van Dyke, uh, takes us to a party celebrating the Muppet movie. And he talks to Muppets, and he talks to celebrities, and LeVar Burton is there. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah, I, I, if I remember correctly, Rita Moreno is also a co-host of that. Oh, you're right, she is. Muppet Show guest star Rita Moreno. It's a Bye Bye Birdie reunion between... Dick Van Dyke and Rita Moreno. Huh. How about that? So, yeah, keep an eye out for that. And, of course, we want to thank all of you for listening and for joining the discussion on Facebook and Twitter and the Tough Pigs Forum and for a few of you emailed occasionally. Uh, There were actually a few times when I learned a few things about the movie that I didn't know from our listeners chiming in. Yeah, me too. And, yeah. And we want to thank each and every one of our guests once again. We had every single one of our guests was cool and witty and insightful. So that was that was a pretty good uh, a pretty good set of guests. That's right. We lucked out with our guests. Yeah. And um, is there anyone else that I'm forgetting? Oh well, we should uh, mention again. Our theme song is by Stacy Rosen. Our logo is by Morgan Davies. So thank you once again to them. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone I'm forgetting? Thank you to toughpigs.com for being a great website. Hooray. All right. And uh, if anyone out there, if you know anyone who might like this show but hasn't listened to it yet, this is the perfect time because now we've covered the whole movie. You can just listen to all the episodes in a row and and get the whole thing. And 
maybe get sick of us, but uh, give it a try. Yeah, see how long you can last. Yeah, and uh, if anyone out there has money and wants to sponsor the podcast, I don't know if this is probably a long shot, but, you know, hey, drop me a line at ryan at toughpigs.com and we'll talk. Yeah, sounds good. That's all I have for the entire Muppet movie. What about you, Anthony? That's all I have for the Muppet movie, too, except we're going to go watch the Muppet movie again right now. Good idea. And keep an eye out for future episodes, everyone, of Moving Right Along. Goodbye. Bye.